Good morning. Morning. So glad that uh, Pastor Kokfai and also Elder Edwin take a break last two weeks to talk about a main issue, a key issues about our church family, how we can care for each other. And uh, I believe some of our hearts are stirred. And I, and I hope that whatever they've been stirred, to keep the fire burning, take initiative on your own to care, to love, to look out for each other. On the leadership side, we are also working things out so that there's opportunity for you to be aware how you can be, uh, play a part in the lives of people to encourage one another. So keep the fire burning and then uh, we will make mentions of uh, this once in a while through our sermons. We are now uh, going through a new series. It's a book of First King. First Kings. Uh, this is uh, the overview of what we're going to cover. And it's good to, to know the, the narratives of the biblical story. And I don't know whether you experience it. Sometimes my son will come and will sit over dinner and out in the blue, he will say that. He ran out of the room. Uh, then I'll say, so, uh, can you give me more context? So he will say, oh, he ran out of the room, she cried. Then, can you give me more context? And after I understand the context, then I begin to appreciate the part of the story. Why is he telling me that he ran out of the room? So today, before I cover the book of, uh, uh, we go to the book of First Kings, it's good for us to know the overall arching story of what God's dealing with His people. Let me give you some background. Next slide. We need to go back again to the book of Genesis where God promised a man uh, called Abraham. He promised him descendants, they will be numerous, and to the descendants, they will form a nation. And also promise him that he could have a special promised land. A special land will be given to them. Today is called the land of Israel. And then God promised to bless them, and to them be a blessing to all nations. So that's a, a promise. And then next come, come uh, Israel, the people of God here. Let's see the journey thus far. Later, later. <laughs> Next, okay. Okay, the journey thus far. The first of all, just now we mentioned about uh, Abraham. Let's look at Abraham first. And Abraham, God have a promise. And the promise transferred down to his son, Isaac, and then to the next son, his grandson, Jacob, and then to the, the fourth generation, that is Joseph. And the people of God grew. And it was brought to Egypt. Next. And it was in slavery in Egypt, and God miraculously led them out of Egypt into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. And when you were in the promised land, instead of having a king, they were, they were led by different group of people. The leaders that God have raised, they were called judges, led by various judges. And then the people of God say, no, we want to have kings rule over us. So God gave them the kings. The first king is King Saul. King Saul, to know King Saul, he have no heart for God. And then came King David. He he's have a big heart for God. And then came King Solomon, half heart for God. So, First Kings begins with the life story about Solomon. Solomon. Next, then we also look at um, in First Samuel. We look at God's promise to King David that He promised him two things: that one of his descendants will always occupy the throne of Israel. One of his descendants. And secondly, one of his descendants will build his temple. His temple. 
And then you look at King Solomon. He's a tangible fulfillment of these two promises here. That he was uh, David's descendant and he later on built the temple. Next. And then you look at the golden era of uh, Israel that is under Solomon's reign. Under Solomon's reign. Today we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 4. This is the golden age of Israel. As far as Israel is concerned, if you look at the history of Israel, it never gets better than this. This period is the golden era. There were wealth, military power, buildings, and they were, they were, they were, they were prestigious. They were, they were well-known throughout, and there was a lot of military power under the reign. And if you look carefully, 1 Kings seems to be pointing towards a very tangible fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham as well as to King David. However, unfortunately, Solomon's reign, though it was great, it didn't come to a very uh, healthy kind of uh, ending. Go back again. When you think of First King, or when you think of uh, Solomon, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind when you think about this person, uh, Solomon? You might think about wealth. You might think about uh, wisdom. You think about some part of it, maybe wish, uh, uh, worship. And then another one is women. Many wives, yes. The, the, the four W's in it. So, you look at it and you realize that, A, Solomon, though it's great, he have a great kingdom, but it is not the full fulfillment. That It is a foreshadowing foreshadowing of a greater fulfillment. And the greater fulfillment will look forward to who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It is like tumbling through a, a tourist brochure. You go for a tour, you look at website, you look at the brochure, you get excited, you begin to think about all this destination, but that's not the real thing. The real thing is when you arrive. So Solomon and his reign point towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ about this. And Solomon... There was a great theologian called Frederick Bushner. It's a well-known uh, Presbyterian theologian. He says, King Solomon was among the wisest fools who ever wore a crown. What a, a contradiction. The wisest fool ever wore a crown. His father David, King David, was an ideal leader. In fact, all the other kings were may have to be measured up according to him. It became a good example. But, Nobody will point to Solomon as a good example of a godly leader. Why? We'll learn that in the first three sermons. Now let's zoom down to 1 Kings chapter 1 to 4. Even the Bible just come through. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 4. Let me give you an overview. Chapter 1 to 2 describe that Solomon, how Solomon became a king. And then 3 to 4 describe the events that occur in the first three years of his reign. And subsequently, later on, they will talk about his building of the temple and he described him uh, uh, about his reign. So, to start off, his reign started off, before his reign started off with a crisis. There was a power struggle. If you look at history, you understand, before a king died or immediately after the king died, they will, usually there's a power struggle among the sons. Who is going to take power? Who is going to take control? It happens also during the time of Solomon. David is weak, was weak. He's about to die. And then 
there was a power struggle. Before that, there, David one have another son called Absalom. Absalom decided to, to take control. He wanted to usurp the father's throne. He tried unsuccessfully to overthrow his father. And then he failed. He, he died. And then came another of David's son, which is a half-brother of Solomon. He is Adonijah. Adonijah realized that David's life is coming to an end, so he sets himself to become a king. He began to proclaim himself. He got the support of one of the priests called Abiathar and also one of uh, the, the, the commander of Israel's army called Joab. With their support, he publicly declared, Long live King Adonijah. And then there was panic in the, uh, with Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Because you know, if Abiathar become a king, guess what he will do? He's going to execute both Solomon, which is he's going to be a competitor, as well as his mother. So Bathsheba went to King David and said, King David, you better do something about it. You mentioned that Solomon is going to be king. Please make it publicly. And true enough, there was a public declaration. He put uh, Solomon on the mule and Solomon was declared king. And that's how Solomon became the king of Israel after David passed away. Now we're going to look at chapter 2 to give an overview about this particular king, the reign of Solomon, and see what can we learn from him. And then we look at his heart and then how he point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the first one, Solomon, the great uh, strategist. First of all, he dealt with his enemies. True enough, after he became the king, his brother, King Adonijah, no, brother, no, Prince Adonijah, tried a second time to usurp the throne. This time he asked for David's last concubine. He said that, can I have David's concubine as my wife? By asking for that, it means that, can I ask for the kingdom? He tried to usurp and then he was put down unsuccessfully. He was put to death. And then the other person is Abiathar, the high priest who conspired with his brother. He was removed from the priesthood. And then the next person, Joab, the commander of the army. Again, he tried to put down Solomon. He was also executed. And there was a third, a fourth person, Simei. He was David's accuser. David accused him of uh, usurping the throne from King Saul. All the while, he keep on uh, accused David. And David mentioned about this guy. Be careful about him. And Solomon gave him into a, into a how arrest. And after three years, he break the how arrest. He was also executed. Solomon started off his reign as a strategist. He took care of all the enemies. He established his throne. And he became a king. Next, when he became the king, the first thing he do is he wants to make peace with the nations. He make alliance. Let's look at 1 Kings 3, verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. David's name Oh, Solomon's name in Hebrew means peace. True enough, he established peace because he wanted to consolidate his power with the neighboring countries. 
And the way he do that is not by the David's way. David's way is by war. Solomon's way, he do an international diplomacy. How? I marry your daughter. And you look at carefully here, the fact that Egypt sent the daughter over means that Egypt in its political power had fallen under the ranking of Israel. Israel was very strong. And then he began to marry not just one, not just two, not just three, not just four, not just five. You know how many? Seven hundred. Maybe he made seven hundred treaties or he reached hundred already. He got excited. He continued, continued, even though without treaty, he just continued. Uh, marrying all these wives. And these are the ones that turn his heart away. That's what the Bible says. I, I will talk a little bit about this. The third sermon will talk more about this. Here you see Solomon having this particular idea in his mind. What is the idea? The ends justifies the means. The ends is what? I want security. I want power in my reignship. So what's the means? I go and marry all these wives. Even though it was stated, king is not supposed to take so many wives. They are not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to marry foreign wives because God already stated in the Bible, this foreign wife is going to turn their hearts away. But he put aside God's word. He looked at the situations. He said, this is what is beneficial for me and I'm going to do it. Something else seems to be residing in his heart. But look at carefully again at Solomon. He started off well. Next, Solomon the worshipper. After he had made peace with the nations, now he wants to make peace with God. He wants to show God. In fact, he started off very well. If you look at chapter 3, verse 3 to 4, it said there, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instruction given to him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on high places. The king went to Gibeah to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Solomon started off well, but as I mentioned earlier, something is lurking in his heart. That is directing his heart. He went to offer sacrifices on high places. What are these high places? You see, before Israel came, there were the Canaanites, the pe- the pagan Canaanites, they were living there. They offer their sacrifices on these high places because they believe that the higher you are, the nearer to heaven, the closer you are. So they all to these high places, designated, and then they offer all these sacrifices. So Israel, when they come, they also go to these places to offer uh, their sacrifices, even though it was prohibited. But it was so-called overlooked because the, the temple wasn't built yet. And Shiloh, before that, was, uh, was destroyed also when the Ark of the Covenant was taken. So, there was no, so it was tolerated. So they went there to offer sacrifices. Unfortunately, later, even after the temple was built, Israel continued to use the high places to offer sacrifices, not to Jehovah, but to other gods. Turn the hearts away. So you see, he is a great strategist. He's a peacemaker. He's a worshipper. And next part, come to the very common, uh, popular story, Solomon the discerner, where he asked for wisdom. At night, after he was worshipped the Lord, he worshipped the Lord, God appeared to Solomon and gave him a blank check offer. Let's look at 
What's the offer? At Gibeah, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you give want me to give you. He said, Ask for anything. Anything you want. You ask, I will give it to you. And what did Solomon ask for? Next. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern these great people of yours? He asks for a wise, discerning heart in order to govern God's people. That is a very good uh, request. And God was so impressed that God said, you didn't ask for wealth, you didn't ask for honour, you didn't ask for long life. I'm going to give all these things to you on top of wisdom. On top of wisdom. But take note, what is wisdom? Wisdom is not just knowledge itself. Uh, there was a professor, a contemporary of uh, Albert, Albert Einstein, Professor Max Braun. He was a scientific giant during the 20th century. And also a close friend of Albert Einstein. Before he passed away at the age of 87 in 1970, there was an interview on him. And he said this, I will be happier if we had scientists with less brains and more wisdom. Scientists with less brain and more wisdom. He's saying that he's, he's making a distinguish, uh, distinction between knowledge, scientific knowledge and wisdom. These are two different things here. And what is wisdom? Wisdom, on certain part of it, it is one that is skillful in the management of life, skillful in managing relations, human relationship, as well as to understand and cooperate with the basic laws that God has built into His creations. But the foundation of wisdom, Solomon himself said this. You know what is it? The foundation of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the recognition that God is the author and the end of life. And that to have a meaningful and successful life, one has to focus on God. That's the foundation. And then Solomon has an opportunity to exercise his wisdom. Um, if, if you have the Bible, you can just glance through um, in chapter 3 onwards, there was opportunity. There was a case that he had to administrate a case. There were two prostitutes who were staying together. Both of them given birth to babies, two babies. And then one night, one of the prostitutes um, so-called leaned over and then lied over his, her own uh, baby and the baby died. And then she swapped with the other live baby. And then the next day, the other mother woke up, realized that her baby was dead. But that's not her baby. So they brought the case before Solomon and said to decide whose baby is it. And guess what Solomon did? Solomon said, let's take the baby, cut it to half, one person, one half. And the, the first mother whose baby died said, that, yes, I will take it. But the second mother said, let the other one have the baby. And Solomon make a ruling. That's the second one. It's the true mother. He was able to exercise this particular judgment. Why? Because of the wise the wisdom God had given to him. 
So we see here Solomon the discerner. And then if you continue on in chapter 4, you look at Solomon the ruler. Next. Solomon began to appoint governors, uh, religious leaders to establish the people's worship and then governors over the 12 districts. He asked his governor to collect money for the king's household expenses. Most probably, they also collected tax and supervised the, the security and later on in the building of the temple. And God blessed them. And let's look at, this is the height of the, the empire of Israel at that time. Chapter 4, verse 20, 21. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subject all his life. Then there was great things. The nation was famous for its large populations, for its security, for its peace, for its satisfying lifestyle. And later on, they were mentioned, people were eating and drinking and making merry. It was a great time. And guess what? Solomon's wisdom was also well known. Next. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and the breadth of his understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were numbered 1,005. He wrote songs, he wrote proverbs and he was well. But despite all these successes, Solomon didn't end well. Later on in chapter 11, you will cover, um, we have a guest speaker, Pastor Gunnar will share about this, how the foreign wives led his heart away. Today, I'm going to explore a little bit about this area. What led Solomon astray? What led Solomon astray? He had all this wisdom. He had everything. What led him astray? If you look carefully, he had a good beginning. He had a father who loved the Lord. King David, a father who had a full heart for God. And before King David died, King David even instructed him, follow the Lord. And he did it. He followed the Lord. And God is the one who appointed him as king. And God protected him and made him king. And then he worshipped the Lord. In the night, he dreamed. He dreamed about the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him a dream. Such personal experience. And he asked for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. And he experienced that wisdom throughout his life. He knew that this wisdom comes from God. He experienced personal experience with God. And then later on, he built the temple for God. And God appeared to him again the second time. How I wish God can appear to me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Appear. And God appeared to him twice. Despite all this, he still led astray. Why? I, could exp- I want to explore a few reasons why. The first reason I could speculate, most probably, is the lack of accountability. You look at King David. He have men around. He surrounded himself with men, key men who dare to speak into his life. He had Nathan, prophet Nathan who spoke into his life. And then he had, at the time there was Joab, the commander, the one that was executed earlier, but then before he turned back, he was, he dared to talk to David, dared to confront David, and he had these faithful men who spoke into his life. But if you look at Solomon, there was no mentioning of these key men in his life. Why? 
maybe he was too wise. Who dared to talk to this guy? I talked already, you sure got a reason to, to, to fire back. So no point talking. Because he was a wise man. And, and that gave me a point for, for me and also for us to take away. We need men and women around us. We cannot live alone in our church. I want to strike on this because uh, Edwin Chua mentioned about this. We need men and women. We cannot. God has put us into a body. We need each other. We need people who, who dare to speak into our lives, who can keep us accountable, who can help us. Particularly if you are the smart ones. Okay? No offense to those who are smarter, some, though some of you think that you are not as smart. But if you are good at arguing your case, good at reasoning, sometimes it's difficult to speak into your lives. I say that from experience. Sometimes my wife will speak into my life. I will reason out certain things. And then, but she knows that I, that's not right. <laughs> I may not be able to out-reason you, but does not mean that you are right because something is, is wrong there. And therefore, that's uh, something for us, particularly uh, some of us who are more intellectual. We need people who can speak into our lives because we are not alone. Look at here. One, most, one probable reason is that there was no one, men and women, who surround. I'm very grateful for the other three men in my life. People, um, we call ourselves G4. We have uh, Ed, Edwin, Jeffrey, as well as um, Vincent. We meet regularly. But unfortunately, Vincent is going away for a short while <laughs> to Vietnam. But we, we meet regularly because these are men, these are friendship that I treasure because these are opportunities for us to speak to one another. You may not have these people, but it's good to have certain people whom you have given the freedom to speak into your life and for you to speak into their lives. And together, we build one another up. So one reason why probably Solomon was led astray because the second, he knew all this wisdom. He applied on the nations. He applied on people. Unfortunately, I don't know why, he failed to apply on to, upon himself. He failed to, maybe he felt that he's too wise for his own wisdom. He failed to apply it on himself. But why? I think maybe something else other than God took his heart away. There were other loves in his life that were greater than God's love and God's care for us. To under these loves that took Solomon's heart away, we need to look at how a person's character is developed. Next slide. A person, how a person's character is developed, a person's character is developed, is fixed by small choices you make, we make every day. It is these small choices that we make out every day that ultimately make us into who we are today, our character. Let's look at the wisdom of Solomon himself from Proverbs chapter 4. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of the evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it or turn from it, or go on your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep until they make someone stumble. The first part here talks about do not go into this path. Once you begin to walk on this path, and then guess what? It became a habit. And then the second part, they cannot rest. They are robbed of sleep. They cannot do it. It becomes a habit. If they don't do it, it just, they become restless. Addiction sets in step by step, daily choices, and then you are on this wrong path. Uh, my father-in-law used to say this in Hokkien. 
law 是人行出来，路是人走出来的，就是 road is walked out rather than made. Means if you walk on the path, you see a like just like here next door, you see a condominium. You go out, you cross, you want to go to Huanam to eat. You see a grass a grass patch there, but if you walk on the pathway, it's always a bit sandy. Then you go a longer way. Then across, you will see a grass patch. But now I see the grass patch. There was a pathway. <laughs> People cut through. The road has been walked out. <laughs> Our character is like that. Slowly, one step, one step, small choices. It begin. It become a character. I believe Solomon started off with life well, but. He was focusing on what, focusing on something else. He was focusing on the security, about himself, focusing on consolidating his power, and he's going to do it regardless of what God says. The end justifies the mean, so he make decisions based on that. Step by step, in the end, establish his character of one that was turn his heart away. Next slide, where character comes from. Solomon said this himself. Where, the heart. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything in your life stems from your heart. Why? Your heart is what you believe that you must have in order to live joyfully. Your heart is what you believe you must have in order to live joyfully. Your heart is where your greater, greatest loves are. And it's the heart that tells you if I have that. You believe that you will have significance, you have security, you have worth. Whatever your heart determines is your ultimate love. Determines how you will make choices in your life. Determine the path you're going to walk, which ultimately become a road. And ultimately, the road become your character. What could be Solomon's love? I believe it is. I think most probably is started off with power and security. He won power and security. Later on, it was the love and acceptance of the women's in his life. These are the things that drives him, not God. Love, not God. These are the things that drives him. And guess what? He was led astray. Next, how can our hearts be transformed? The little choices that we made. Fix our character, and therefore we cannot change our character just by trying harder. Saint Augustine said this: "The key to change is not acts of will, but the loves of the heart. It's not the acts of the will, not by the acts of you you change, but determine what are the loves of your heart. The problem we have, Augustine is saying that they're disordered loves, disordered love." And some of these loves are fine, are good things. Security, good. Acceptance, love. These are good things, but they are not in proper priority. The first love of our lives, it's recognized that we are created for God. It is God Himself. Solomon's heart's love is not on God. David is. That's why you look at David's choices. He will not do certain things because he knew, no, this is not what God will allow me to do. Solomon may have outward expressions of devotions to God. He built the temple. He followed God. He do the right thing, but his heart is elsewhere. How, 
then can we avoid the error of Solomon by looking for a greater love of our lives, a greater love than what we are created for, by looking to the one that Solomon is pointing to. Who is that one? It's none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Next. Listen to what the New Testament said. The king of the south rise at the judgment in the, with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. For something or someone greater than Solomon is here. Who is that someone? The Lord Jesus Christ. Wise people throughout the history say, I point you to the path of wisdom. Jesus said, I am wisdom. I am the path of wisdom. John chapter 1 say, In the beginning was the word. The word can also be translated as reason, can also be translated as wisdom. In the beginning was reason and wisdom, and then the word became flesh. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ next. Solomon was very rich, but he used his richness for himself and to exploit the people. That's why later when Solomon died, the people rebelled against him. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he laid aside his riches, laid aside his majesty for you and for me. That's what 2 Corinthians says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for my sake, he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Next, Solomon, guess what? He started off well. He was not faithful all the way to the end. But our Lord Jesus Christ, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, he was called faithful and true. He finished the work of God the Father had given to him. He didn't string back. At the cross, he bore the world's foolishness he bore my foolishness. He bore your foolishness. He bore all our sins and remained there at a great cost to himself. And he stayed faithful. That is why today we are here. This is the love that God has for us. Next. In John 19, verse 30, when Jesus hung on the cross there, there was darkness. And after, when he mentioned here, when he had received drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head, gave up his spirit. The word, it is finished, in Greek, it means what? It's an accounting term. means paid in full. Paid in full. My debt, paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. Your debt, paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of my good behavior. Not because of my offering. Not because of my church attendance. Not because of my faithfulness. Not because of how much good deeds I have done but all by the grace, not because of my wisdom, not because of my righteousness, but all because of the grace that God has for us. At the cross, Jesus took the deep darkness so that we do not have to experience that darkness. Martin Luther said this, I thought I needed, I needed to create righteousness, but then I realized that Jesus is my righteousness. Why? Because He paid the debt. It is finished. It is finished. That's how much He loves us. That's how much He cares for us. That's how much He wants us. Next slide. How then can our hearts be transformed? Let me read a quotation here. The only way to take our hearts off of one beauty 
is to find a greater beauty, a greater heart's desire. You need to replace whatever loves in our lives with a greater love. What is this greater love? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and I. We need to take the gospel into our hearts and let it change us. Only then we will be wise. Only then we will choose God. And with that gospel, only then with that love, we can make the right choices every day of our life, which ultimately will shape our character, will keep us faithful to the end. So that at the end of the day, we don't lament and look back at our lives. Then we look back, I was a wise fool like Solomon. But today we can see, we can be transformed. But today my, my question for all of, all of us is, are there other loves in your life? For Solomon, it was acceptance and love from his foreign wives or power and security. But today, is there anything that drives our daily decisions that ultimately shape our character? If there are, I hope that today you will look at the cross, look at the Lord Jesus Christ, let the Lord Jesus Christ's heart transform us. His love for you, His sacrifice on the cross transform us. I invite the musicians to come forward. And I'd like to invite us right now to where you are, just to bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to search your hearts. Ask the Lord to search your hearts. Are there other loves in your lives that's driving your decisions each day? I believe all of us have, including me. And today, I hope that what I shared about how Solomon pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ let the Lord Jesus Christ, what He has done for you and the gospel of grace become a greater love in your life. And let His love transform you. Shall we rise as we sing this closing song? Men of sorrow.